To ship, of course. It's time again for Build Engineering, DevOps, Release Management, and everything in between. I'm your host, Paul Reed, SoberBuildEng on Twitter and at SoberBuildEngineer.com, who is here with me for, what is this episode, what, 41? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, this is AJ Ceramella, E. Ceramella on Twitter. This is Sasha Bates at Sasha underscore D on Twitter. How is everybody doing? Good. Oh, pretty good. How's it going over there in California? It is going okay. I feel like I'm getting a cold, which is sad, which is, and it's also not the right season for it. Maybe it's just allergies. I don't know. Maybe I got this allergy problem that Seth had that he moved to Seattle for. <laughs> But I'm also, I was going to mention, I'm getting ready to go to DevOps Days Pittsburgh, which has an amazing lineup. Um, have you guys heard about this? That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, Kevin Bear is going to be speaking there. Pete Cheslock. Jennifer Davis is mm-hmm. in the chat there. Yeah, we have some, we have some shepherds going. Yeah, yeah. Todd Underwood, too, which um, I've heard a lot about him, but I've never he- heard him speak. So I'm actually super cool. excited about that because I know he's he's said a lot of various important things and so that'll be fun to see him speak but yeah if, if you're in that area um devops days pittsburgh is the end of the month it's like may 29th 29th and 30th that is yeah 29th and 30th so you should definitely check that out if you're over near there i have to get on a plane so i have to like book a flight and do all that fun stuff um for episode 41 we're going to be talking recruiting devops recruiting everybody's favorite topic um oh my so God. We'll be, yeah we'll, we'll be uh, tackling that shortly but of course news and views as we always do. So first up tonight, a post that OpenSSH, we, we discussed the Heartbleed OpenSSL badness in the last episode and pretty much everybody knows about that and the uh, development that OpenBSD is is now forked OpenSSL into LibreSSL and is uh, doing their cleanup that they do. Interestingly, they released this week that OpenSSH can be built uh, without having to depend on OpenSSL. We'll link to the uh, announcement on that. I'm amused that the command is make and then an uh, all caps OpenSSL equals no, um, and that's how you can build OpenSSH without OpenSSL. I think this is a pretty interesting development. Uh, it seems like the OpenSSL developers have, have basically caused everyone to be like, screw you, like, <laughs> we, tr- we trusted you and now we're done, totally. Yeah, the comments are interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing I thought that was interesting, what they're replacing it with is uh, encryption from DJ Bernstein, which uh, it's always interesting when he gets involved because his solution to every problem is replace the entire stack with the DJB stack. Like if you've ever had to use Qmail, the entire solution is based on like use Qmail and then monitor it with this like auto-monitoring thing that he wrote and then use DJB DNS that doesn't follow. I don't know anybody else like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But the way, the other interesting thing I thought about this announcement is um, if you compile it without OpenSSL, it actually removes all the SSH1 stuff, protocol uh, version 1, um, which, like uh, SSL, actually, versus TLS, SSL, is considered to be insecure. So she shouldn't be using it anyway, and they actually uh, ripped it out when you do this. Anyway, we'll link to the announcement. Check that out uh, if you're one of those crazy people that compiles your own OpenSSH, which I am because I'm a gen tour. Uh, next up, we have uh, something Seth linked us to, a blog post called Make No More. We'll, of course, link to the blog post in the show notes. It's by an uh, individual, and I'm going to butcher the name, Hadi Hariri, who uh, works over at uh, JetBrains. Um, but yeah, Seth linked us to this article talking about basically the this tooling around how we uh, compile our, our various programs. He's talking make no more being like make, like gmake. And so he basically talks about the various build tools. He, he gives an example of grunt. And then he talks about gulp, which I guess are JS related things. 
Wow, Grunt is he, dead already. Yeah, wow. and then he talks about Rake and Ruby. Uh, Wait, don't go, don't go any farther. The, but seriously, the first paragraph where he's like, "Force me to download the entire en- internet via npm." Like, look, this is just sort of what is going to happen. I feel like with package managers from here on in, especially things like JavaScript or Java or Ruby, even just like these tools are going to just pull down their dependencies and the transitive dependencies. And right. Well, so he it's interesting, right? Because he's kind of complaining about that. But really, if you read the last kind of section, he's basically saying that uh, everything is a is a DSL and the standard things of well, we we have rules and we have tasks and all of this are consistent across like Rake and Ant and every build related system that you've ever had. So just stop doing that. He says adding yet another custom DSL and grammar isn't really going to solve any problem. And what was interesting to me about this is it's like that is a factually true statement. Yes. However, you're not going to get no developers to build their stuff using make. You're just not. Like every community builds these tools, and and yes, it's it's. Is he saying a, stop using uh, every all these other tools that you built and just use Make? Well, so I think what he's saying is, and this is another problem I have with these sorts of posts because they're like, this sucks. Everybody duplicates things. Everybody duplicates Make, but then he says, I think there's innovation possible in build automation, and there's no like there's no solution. Yes, there's always innovation possible in build automation. He talks about that he thinks that you can combine auto-analysis and convention over configuration and some of these other things into some big tool, and it's like, okay, that's great, but you've written three sentences that don't tell me anything other than don't use make. So it's one of these things you always talk about, Sasha, where it's like you're complaining about the fact that the Ruby community re-implemented make and that the Node community re-implemented make, but you're you're not offering any solution other than like hand-waving and pixie dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the thing is, is that these communities built, yes, they re implemented those tools, but they did it because they wanted to make it easy for people that write Node all day to do their jobs. Is he saying that everybody went to all this trouble to like recreate these tools, and yet nobody's done anything innovative with them? I guess, and also, if you're going to do this, then don't do Make again. Yeah, I guess. But but I think it's just funny because this is one of those things that the, his, the historical pattern is something like Node comes along, or something like Ruby comes along, uh, or something like Python comes along, and we b- generate all of these like software, like we write all the software using it, and then the community realizes, oh, building it and shipping it and packaging it is a shit show. Let's mm-hmm. fix that. Well, they're not going to use Make to do that. They're just not. So it's like everybody re-implements their own, but they re-implement it with the context of their community and of the tool they're doing it in. So this is kind of like, you know, I, I don't really know. Well, I was well, going to say. I mean, I'm sure this blog post is just therapy. Could be. That that could be true. You know, it's funny though. I I pulled out my old O'Reilly managing projects with GNU Make book because it had some really funky examples of like how you could build Java projects using Make, how you could build publishing projects. He actually has an example of generating the book because it's like written in tech using Make. So it's actually kind of funny, like the stuff you can do with Make if you really really wanted to. Uh, and this book has all those examples. But yeah, it was interesting. Seth pointed to to it as a rant, and it's kind of a rant we all could have. Next up, we have a couple of fun items to close out news and views. Uh, a fun uh, GCC Easter egg that we got pointed to. Uh, we'll link to the details in the show notes. But basically, it was saying in older versions of GCC, when the compiler encountered specific forms of undefined behavior, especially in C++, the code that it executed was actually uh, trying to launch NetHack 
and if that didn't work, then Rogue, and if that didn't work, then Emacs in Towers of Hanoi mode. And then failing all three, it would just print out a nice cryptic error message. The message actually being, you are in a maze of twisty compiler features, all different. Um, I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, it's and I so it's kind of funny. I, the post is actually talking about how when you have to actually implement a language specification, like undefined behavior is really bad, and C++, because of the C compatibility, had a lot of that, where it was just like, the behavior's undefined, who knows what's going to happen, right? And so the compiler said to, like, do something reasonable-ish, so... I thought that was pretty funny. And then also, on the kind of funny end of the spectrum, uh, we uh, have a link to the, uh, the Git man page generator. That is a site that basically uh, will generate a man page for you related to Git. I actually, the one that I brought up when I loaded it up was Git make submodule, and it has uh, different... <laughs> different Is it whether it's next to Git Kill Me Now? Yeah, maybe it should be. It's funny, like the options like Git, the, uh, the options to Git make submodule are seize commit rip, uh, rip summarize base, challenge prove tree. Let's see if I... Git tug stage. Um, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And it actually explains them. It looks like an actual... It actually looks like uh, the the Git man pages. This is one of those things, right? I mean, everybody makes fun of Perforce and and Subversion. Um, Perforce had really good documentation that made sense, and a lot of the Git stuff looks like it was written by engineers. And you're kind of like, what? <laughs> so anyway, check that. Oh, Git Tuck Tree is the next one. Tuck all non-remoted local trees opposite of the exported unstaged changes. <laughs> uh, Git yeah. put lotion in the basket. Yeah, yeah, or it gets the ref head again. Um, anyway, yeah, check that out. So, <laughs> your, your level of nerd is like, it's just, I can't even cope. <laughs> I can't believe how fast you whipped cope. that one. <laughs> yeah. I cannot um, cope with it. Yes, well, uh, yeah. Last up tonight, actually, is not a news and views. We wanted to mention something. Uh, so a couple episodes ago for uh, ChefConf, we did uh, underrepresented people in tech providing a pass uh, to ChefConf. Um, that went over swimmingly. It turns out we talked to the fine folks at O'Reilly, and they would like to do that for Velocity in Santa Clara. So Velocity Conference in Santa Clara is coming up the uh, 25th and 26th uh, of June in Santa Clara. Um, I will actually be there um, speaking, but we're going to do that again. So we'll put the email in the show notes. If you're a member of an underrepresented group in technology, you can uh, shoot us an email uh, saying why you like to go to Velocity. And if you're outside of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, we'll also provide some money to help offset the cost of travel and accommodations while you're here. So send that to us. Uh, check the show notes for the email address and we'll hopefully see you at Velocity. So next up, recruiting recruiters, recruiter horror stories here on the Ship Show. Welcome back to the Ship Show. So most of us have interacted with a recruiter at one point or another in our careers. The stories that we swap in the hallway track at conferences or Twitter accounts like recruiters say are an indication. Sometimes that experience is far from pleasant. But why exactly is that and can anything be done to fix it? To help us explore that topic and the topic of recruiting in general today, we're chatting with uh, Sam Cooley, a partner at Riviera Partners, a retained search firm. Welcome to the ship show, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Good afternoon. So let's start with your background. How did you get into recruiting and uh, why did you help us understand how retained search is a little bit different from the type of recruiter that many listeners be 
have interacted with. Sure. Well, it was actually a total accident. I was effectively a candidate of Riviera, and I was looking to get back into a little more hands-on technology. I, I had wandered off, meandered into business consulting and <clears throat> sort of running the business as opposed to doing the business and wanted to get back into it. So I had known about Riviera, a good, good reputation in the in the Valley, and as fairly new to the West Coast, talked to some, some contacts and colleagues there and uh, started, to, started to talk about recruiting as a career, not intentionally. But as I started to get into it, I realized I was probably better at that than at engineering, which is why I left it in the first place. So um, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it because I thought I've had some bad experiences in the past with hiring recruiters as well as uh, also working with them in a, in, a, in a candidate capacity. And so you know, it really is an interesting opportunity because what Riviera did is basically focused only on venture-backed tech companies. So it's, it's exciting. But I also like the retain search work because, and to your point about retain search, it's really about putting together a search strategy for a specific profile of person based on the needs of the company going forward. So what we need now, what we need in a year, what we need in three years. And so I really liked the sort of challenge of trying to find a person who, in Wayne Gretzky's words, would where the puck would be rather than where it is now. Because <laughs> you feel like you're contributing to something that's growing. And so while, while you may not be there actually writing the code, if you can help someone find an interesting opportunity to them as well as help that company find what could be a completely transformational person on their exec team, it's kind of interesting. So it sounds like you've actually interacted with recruiting kind of on all sides. So you've hired recruiters, you've worked with them, and I'm sure you've been recruited mm-hmm. by recruiters at some point. So you've kind of actually seen this problem from all the different angles that you can kind of see it from. And then now, of course, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting to kind of see it from all sides. And again, totally accidental, but uh, as my first manager told me, sometimes you choose your career initially, but eventually your career chooses you. That's absolutely what happened to me. <laughs> so let's get the elephant in the room that a lot of listeners might be wondering out of the way, out front. It seems like everyone has a story of just like a horrid interaction with recruiters. <laughs> and so why does it feel on the tech community side like so many recruiters act like thoughtless a- towards candidates like why does that dynamic exist well you know I think a lot of times it's it's about taking the time to understand a the role you're recruiting for be the, the right person for that role and see whether the person whose profile you're looking at is the right person for that role I still get hit up by recruiters for C++ internal engineering roles <laughs> and thinking, have you looked at my profile in the past 15 years that's like I'm the worst candidate possible but I think it's easy to and between LinkedIn and you know the tools that are available now it's easy to it's become easier to reach out to a lot of people Connection and communication has become easier, but that doesn't take away the responsibility and requirement of feeling like you're reaching out to the right person for the right role, and that that actually could be a valid candidate. So I think well, it's easy to get get to people. So what I really want to know, though, is that anybody recruiting for tech jobs, like serious tech jobs, knows that most of us are are in places like there's almost nobody unemployed who wants to be right. in our space because we all know stuff and we're in demand. And sure. so what I want to know is is Shouldn't part of understanding the role that you're recruiting for understand the people that you're trying to put in there? And most of us are are deluged mm-hmm. with, with people trying to email us and stuff. And so, like, last week, actually, mm-hmm. I got an email from some guy who was like, you'd be perfect for blah. And I was like, do you even read profiles? Because right in the top of the line of mine was like, don't email me because I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And he, he just emailed me back and was like, oh, I got so excited by your keywords that I never read your profile. And I'm like, that's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable behavior. You're never going to find people right. doing that. So, Sam, what, you started to talk about this. Why does that happen? I mean, what, why do people – is it just the kind of lots of fish in the sea so cast a wide net sort of thing? Or how does that – So so I think it, it could be either either that or the specific instance of – and this may 
may not be the case, you know, Sasha, that you were referring to, but sometimes there's a, a particular profile that just seems so spot on and is so spot on to what the client is looking for that you just have to do it because it may be, an, maybe, maybe that is the dream job for you and that recruiter didn't know it. What usually is the, is the case is that it's a cast a wide net, the spray and pray approach, <laughs> which <laughs> is which is all too present, right? But, right. you know, you've well, got people who have taken jobs from, you know, you know, executives at Facebook who said, no, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, but then realize they're super passionate about education and they found something that they said, this is what I've been waiting for. So I think some people do a little bit of, there's a little prayer involved in any case, uh, but some people do take the approach of not reading the rest of your profile, Sasha, to your example, and maybe it is the wrong match and not the right match. So there, unfortunately, is that out there too. Well, the fact that if it was that hard to find, like, the most amazing, perfect God match between a profile and your client, maybe that means that, that you know, that one person, you, you have to think that, that one person is getting stuff like that all the time, if they're mm -hmm. so unique, and especially in the web space where we all are, where everybody's looking for a similar skill set in a lot of ways. Absolutely. DevOps is one of them. I, I, as, you know, both of you know, it's, and anyone and this listening is, to this thing would know. <laughs> There's no DevOps anywhere in my profile. I got rid of all of it. That's actually really interesting, Sasha. I, I remember you talking about this. You uh, actually did sort of an experiment where you removed that keyword, and you still get pinged. I from still get pinged, but I, I the, the hits are way down. It's nice. I yeah. think, yeah, and, and since you have, you know, you, you can't get rid of Chef, obviously. You're endorsed for DevOps, actually fairly highly, though, so that oh, could be really? what, if you want to oh. take it out of there, that'll <laughs> No. We endorsed you for the DevOps, yes. Yeah. Well, so, you think right, golf right, right above smartassery, actually. Oh. <laughs> I need more smartassery endorsements, obviously. Maybe the DevOps it. will fall yeah. down. Okay, I'll get, I'll get right on that, Sasha. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really funny. That reminds me of a, there's a DevOps Reactions Tumblr that has you know animated GIFs because we love our animated GIFs, and we'll link to this in the show notes of of what happens when you add or or when a recruiter sees DevOps in your profile and and it's kind of like all these people running. Do you think it's a little bit like you've ever seen like you know six or seven year olds play soccer and they just kind of <laughs> follow the ball or like like our keywords because you know. That didn't, you know, DevOps took a couple years to actually be a term that people searched on. Is it is it somewhat of that kind of syndrome where it's like the ball is going this way, let's all clump around it? Yeah, I think there's part of that. I think now that it's become a little more not obvious necessarily, but I think more recruiters are understanding the differences and the overlaps between tech ops and DevOps and production operations evolution towards automation and tooling. I mean, I, I teach a course on this, and it's it takes a long time for people to sort of understand it if they've never had to be responsible. Oh, I'd like for to take it. that course. I'd like to be in that course. Sure. How long is it? It's part of a 10-week-long architecture. We, we actually uh, run our, our uh, recruiters through it, and we also put it on for clients. It's a, it goes into software architecture and code families and the difference between big data, analytics, and BI, which are very different. You know, just sort of so that people have an understanding of what's out there and why, when to hit whom for what. Uh -huh. <laughs> Wait, so you, you put uh, your recruiters through this? I want to see the slides on DevOps. <laughs> yeah. I want to know who's uh, peer-reviewed your DevOps slides. Actually, uh, the person who, person who introduced me to Paul, Pete Chesluck, used to work for me. Oh, well, we all know what Pete knows about DevOps, that <laughs> DevOps manager guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, all right, well, if Pete vetted them, then I guess I don't need to <laughs> he can, Yeah, he can, vouch, he, he can vouch for me. He can't vouch for my smart ass, <laughs> but he can vouch for me. Yeah. Actually, we'll bring up Pete later in the show because I have a question specifically about something he was saying. Um, but we have to give him a hard time because and, and there's a blog post. I'll see if I can dig this up where everybody gave him a hard time for being the director of DevOps or something like that. He was hired to be the director of DevOps, and I couldn't cope. 
so it was fun. And he, he had to give it up because, uh, well, he was horrified by it, too. He didn't pick the title. Yeah, he actually changed it. He, I, and he's a good sport about that stuff. But he actually wrote a blog post on, yeah, this is, was not the right thing. Sam, why don't you walk us through the different types of recruiters and how that process works? Because I think in my experience, I've only really been on kind of the receiving end of, of recruiter solicitation. I've I've worked with a recruiter, but that recruiter was sort of hired and placed by the company. Mm-hmm. So so I would you know, I just worked together with them on like one of the positions. So it was kind of a very narrow interaction. So for, for listeners that maybe only have been on the LinkedIn side of things or the, the email side of things like well, how are those things structured and what are, what are the kind of different ways that that can be structured yeah absolutely so you've got in, recruit internal recruiters who work for a company and their their job is to is to find great candidates for that company now that may be across the stack so to speak so it may be anywhere from you know marketing and finance to engineering or it may be a specific maybe one is you know technical engineering and operations one is gna or business which is marketing and finance etc so that that's structured differently at different companies different sizes at different stages of these companies. Then on the external side, you have firms. Typically, there are two more, I'd say, traditional ways of, of compensation for these firms. Number one is is your traditional contingency firms where they're paid by placement. These are typically on the individual contributor or you know tech lead level where they might be hiring four or five people. And that's usually based on supply. You're not necessarily going out to the market saying, I have a specific role for you. More about generating a relationship with that candidate to find what they might want in their next role. And that's where, I think, Sasha, you were talking about trying to find out what the, the best thing is for that person. That's different than coming out in the re- on a retained side and saying, I have working with a specific company. They have a specific need. That value proposition of the company may be interesting to you. And if that is a, like infrastructure analytics may be really interesting to people you know, who have been on sort of the the back-end infrastructure, analytics, engineering side of things. And that could be something that maybe makes you leave your job to go towards. So I'd say one is one is supply, one is demand creation. And that's just that's the difference between, I'd say, contingency and retained, which is on the external side as opposed to internal. Well, and I would, be, I would have to say, too, that I don't want people to think that we are objecting to the amazing job of a lifetime either. But um, if you are coming to me with what you think is going to be an amazing job of a lifetime for me, then I need to understand, I need to know that you understand me and what I'm looking for and what I love and uh, how this could actually be the job of a lifetime because it better be if you're going to email me. And, you know, these people mostly aren't bothering to profile. Yeah, you know, yes. it's, worth, it's worth noting, I think, and, and we should also call this out because this is, I mean, it is hard to complain about recruiting. It is such a first world problem in so much it's like, oh, I get so many LinkedIn emails, so many people bugging me, right? And so I do want to acknowledge that, that, that there's a little bit of privilege there when we're complaining I think everybody it. gets a lot of irrelevant email, though, from that stuff. I think no, no, everybody that, does. That's true. I'm just, I'm just saying. I, it's important to call that out. That sometimes mm-hmm. uh, I've heard people that aren't in tech complain how we complain about. Oh, I get so much LinkedIn, and and we should acknowledge that. And that, I, I think that's a thing. But you're and talking about the structure. I, you know, I was asking. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine who works in tech. He works. He, he works in uh, SEO, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he was. He's become a manager, so he's he's worked with recruiters, and he was making. You know, I was sort of actually complaining. And he made the analogy that a lot of the recruiting market is kind of like real estate agents Mm -hmm. um, in terms of they are independent and they they come in and they try to sell a house or a position or maybe, you know, they're building a team. So they're kind of doing that multiple times. And so he was making that analogy. Do you think that's an apt analogy? So I think the external impression of, for example, say what we do is, you know, that could, that could be 
that I can understand why people would have that perception. So one thing, just go back to the. I, I didn't answer one of the parts of your, of your previous question, which is, you know, the incentives. The biggest thing that we have here, at least, at Riviera Partners is our brand, our reputation. So to Sasha's point, if you're reaching out to people and they're not the right people, ultimately it's not going to be a match. Your reputation with the candidates will be bad. And then if that person is put in front of a, hopefully you wouldn't put that person in front if they weren't a good match, but if you put that person in front of a client, then your reputation from the client side would be bad. So it does behoove the recruiter, any recruiter, to know what they're looking for and to find the right people and to, and to take the time, if you don't have a personal relationship, take the time to develop one with that person to find that if it's truly a good match for them. So if, for example, if someone tells you what their dream job would be, you can say, don't be afraid to tell me no, but I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to try to get some things that are in and around what your ideal situation would be, but it does have to be in and around what your ideal situation would have to be. So I think listening to what people actually want, people don't necessarily listen enough. And I think that can lead to some, some issues. They're trying to, quote unquote, make the placement. Right, right. And, and that's really interesting, right? Because uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, I've had a couple of, of experiences and, and I don't actually know what the incentive, like what the structure of the recruiter is. I'm pretty sure they weren't internal. But the question I've always wondered, like on the company side, like I've had some interactions that are pretty bad mm -hmm. uh, with recruiters and, and bad just in sort of, of the, they were just not respectful actually is a, a good way to put it. And I've always wondered like, doesn't that reflect, and, and this was the conversation I was having with my friend about real estate agents, doesn't that reflect poorly on the company if they hire someone and that person goes out using their name and just kind of all over everyone or, you know, is really, really excited and, and then if you say, well, I'm actually not interested in the role, they just, not even a thank you for the time that I spent with you on the phone and with mm -hmm. you, it seems like those are more fall in the category, the bucket of recruiters that aren't trying to develop relationships. They're just trying to make the placement. Uh, is that an accurate assumption? Absolutely. So either in my mind, and this may be a personal view, there's no room in life for being disrespectful, for not saying please. I mean, just everything you need to know in life, you learned in kindergarten, right? right. <laughs> you know, someone spent time with you, right? You want, you want to let them know that you appreciate that. Now, if it's been good time spent, and maybe it just wasn't a match, maybe the you know, candidate felt like the company wasn't the right match for them or vice versa, it still doesn't mean that that person in the company didn't spend time, they invested time both with your candidate and with you. You need to make sure you acknowledge that. And the other thing too is this is a very small community, even globally. You know, we're, we could be talking from all points of the world. You want to make sure that people know that if they're going to engage with you, that you're going to listen to them, you're going to appreciate their time, appreciate their input, and you're going to represent them, whether you're a candidate or a client, with the utmost respect. Because that does absolutely reflect on you, whichever you is, whether you're the client or the candidate. So, so does that mean that the reason that you see or hear a lot of these stories where they're just kind of like almost crazy that people would act like that? And again, I always think, doesn't that reflect poorly on the company? Is that because this boom in tech? I've interacted with some recruiters on LinkedIn, you know, just kind of via e LinkedIn email, and you actually look at their history. And I, some recruiter of them, turnover, ridiculous, well, there's right? There's, well, there's recruiter. So I guess I have two part question. The first one is the market on the tech side for hiring is crazy. Does that mean that there? I don't want to say a bubble in recruiting, but that means there's a lot more people that can come and try to make a go of being a recruiter. A and then B. I notice a lot of people that are recruiters and and they seem to be mostly on their own like they're not part of a firm that I can tell mm -hmm. um, but then they say things like or, or you look at their 
degree and it's in like English literature or something totally unrelated to business and HR and whatever and it's almost like they got a degree in middle age English lit. Hey, I study medieval lit. What are you trying to say? What I'm saying is that they come out with a degree and they say, well, I can't do that, so they go and try recruiting because that's a big market. Is that a thing that happens, or am I just projecting? Well, you know, one of the things, if you look at some of the profile, I mean, my, I'm a great example. If you had told me in college that studying CS would lead to me being a recruiter, I would have told you you're crazy. <laughs> but what, what life sometimes gets you experience, and you learn things about yourself. I didn't realize, you know, you have to, if you're going to be good at recruiting, you have to have an intuition for people. Sometimes mm -hmm. you don't develop that until you've had at-bats in life. You've had to hire people for your own teams. I've built teams up for myself, and I've learned. <laughs> you can ask Pete about the dark side of that one, but you can learn you know, <laughs> what, you're, what you're good at and, and what you're not so good at in hiring, and the best managers are going to hire people who are infinitely better you know, than they are. And so some people just develop that. It's a, sk a skill that's honed. Some people come into it because others identify that about them earlier on in their career and then we have for example a program here where we help teach them technology we help teach them the the process of some of the business things that many of us who were operators of businesses and were execs you know you've learned through the, the trials and tribulations of success and failure because I don't think you can really you can't teach that that's just something you have to have experience in that brings up a really interesting question so so does that mean does that imply that recruiters ever get a little frustrated and th what you said was you were talking about hiring and how if you're a manager you want to hire people that are better than you like and, and build a team that way but have you ever worked with maybe a manager who has some sort of insecurities or whatever so they you, you keep bringing them great possible recruits and they keep turning them down and you finally realize like this is it's like a different issue we need to sort of address is that does that happen oh yeah absolutely but I think part of it is when you're working with you're working with me I'm coaching you so okay. I know one thing and I know it well I, if I knew engineering really, really, really well, I would be in engineering still, right? But I think that high, finding good – I'm a great example. I can find better engineers than I am. And so if you're thinking about the process and how they're thinking about it, you're coaching the hiring manager through, here are some ways to think about it, but we have to remain objective. So ultimately, it's their decision to make. And so you can say, here are the pros of this decision, here are the cons of this decision, as I see it, you, hiring manager, have a lot more internal – insight into what's going on in the company and so if there are things that you know that I don't that's that's great just here are some things that I'm looking at it from the number of again at bats number of times we do it every year just here's sort of aggregate data you could take it as you will and here are some things that I think about here's some things you might consider but ultimately the decision is theirs so sometimes I have actually I've two or three times in my life I have actually developed good relationships with recruiters because mm -hmm. there are gems there are sure. gems out there and they're awesome mm -hmm. uh, and it generally involved them contacting me the first time with uh, some kind of personal hook right where they'd actually read my profile or like one actually tweeted me in response to something that I said and that was really cool and one of them here in town actually was really awesome and then you know as happens you become a statistic or uh, an item in their file drawer somewhere and all of a sudden you're like you're just open to anyone to call you and I actually had somebody call me but he implied that it was about a job and I was kind of curious because I was consulting at the time and I was still flitting from mm -hmm. gig to gig and I got on the phone with him and, and it basically boiled down to hey you remember that job that we tried to put you in that they didn't want you for do you know anybody who might be good for that mm -hmm. <laughs> And I yeah. was like, I wrote the the most angry email to the original guy. I was like, do not ever let anybody from your company ever contact me again. Because mm -hmm. I was just like, I mean, I didn't even care that much, but I was just so offended by it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, who are, can be that stupid? Well, there there are a class of, I think, stories that there's that one that I've heard. The other one that I sort of laughed at is we were actually working with a, a contract recruiter who kept bugging. I was at a position, and then we hired someone else with this recruiter. And then that recruiter both were, tried to recruit us again for the exact same role. Uh-huh. Um, so it was kind of like, this is like clown shoes. So yeah, I guess my point is is that occasionally you do develop those really good relationships with somebody, and then their company mates or the people they work with are just stupid. And then like, yeah. what's up with that? I mean, how do you how do you people cope? How do people cope with that? Sure. Well, it is unfortunate reality too, and you know I think that it, a lot of it does sort of depend on experience. So now a, a a good example, an inverse example of success is when let's say that. Sasha, you, you interviewed for that. You like the position, you like the company, but you ultimately decide it's not for you. You that you have a you very unique outlook, a perspective on the company. What would make someone successful in that role? And so, hopefully, in that context, you know, saying, "Hey, based on what you've, based on what we've, you know, you've not seen about the company, this isn't right for you. Do you know anyone?" whom it might be right for, part of that is pattern matching. Right? No, they, <laughs> because, had, they had passed on me, though. No, I know, I know. So I was, in, the, yeah. in the inverse situation, I would definitely not have asked that question, but again, that's me and my, I'm a little older, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it because it wouldn't be, how, just not how I do it, but it, I'm not going to, again, I assess, I don't judge. <laughs> yeah, well, so this brings up a really good point. I mean, we've been t- sharing recruiter stories uh, with you and, and I'm I had actually open this to the listeners we'd love to hear some of you of, of your yeah. best recruiter stories but I wanted to ask you I mean I'm sure on your end I mean you you've talked just today about wanting to listen and make sure that uh, the context of the role is right and and listening to people reading their profiles so I'm sure you've had experiences where it's like you're frustrating you're like really I mean are, what are some of the things on your end that kind of frustrates you that maybe would be interesting for our listeners to maybe take away and act differently. I mean, because your sure. recruiters are human beings, too. They're not Cylons. <laughs> I just started Battlestar Galactica last night. So. Nice, nice. Uh, but, oh, yay! But, uh, yeah, but, but, but you know what I mean? It's like, you guys are human, too. So what are some of the things maybe that we do that it's like, come on, really, really? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's really, it only comes down to a couple things. Like we know how much spam, how many emails, how many reach out, whatever, that everyone in the engineering community gets. And we know they get them from everywhere, and some of them may not be relevant. So we know that sometimes our Riviera reach outs can be seen as noise. We'd like to try to kind of rage against that machine for, you know, to, to hopefully people will hopefully realize there's a lot of time that gets spent on the front end really realizing uh, what the company wants. We sit down with them, we talk through all of it, both the technical, leadership and managerial, as well as domain-specific information that's going to make the right person right for this role. And so there's, you know, it may not be the right thing for that person at that time. But again, like you said, respect, it's okay to tell me no. I'm ha- we're more than I believe me, have been, I went through high school getting told no a lot. So I think that, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you think about, you know, the fact that if, if I'm reaching out to you, there's a reason. And it's okay if it's hey thanks for the thanks for the message, just not the right time for me. You know that's fine, nothing wrong with that. Just the acknowledgement of that at least this wasn't just a spray and pray. I think is good. If it was, I'd want to hear about it. Hey, you know, look, I don't understand why you you know I'm not sure what you saw in my profile. I'm not X Y and Z. You asked for X Y and Z, and then hopefully that recruiter would call back would respond and say hey thanks for the thanks for the update I appreciate you know you giving me some more insight and and you know best of luck so I do think you're right it's just really again reciprocating on the if, if I ever knew of anyone on my team I doubt that you know they would, would try to instill respect and and uh, good communication skills on both ends like you said uh, Paul just 
we're 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 people too. <laughs> well, what I think, honestly, said? like when I get when I get a real email from recruiters, I always respond. But I mean, yeah, they're so right. rare. I mean, generally, when I don't respond to a recruiter, it's because I'm actively restraining myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, well, not even, it sounds hilarious, but it's true, because I, I am professional, and I have a public sure. uh, persona, and I, and I work for a company but now. But your public so persona is bratty. I know, uh, but I also work for a company who's famous for their hugs and stuff. <laughs> so, true. like, generally, I'm restraining myself from unleashing myself onto people who send me bad emails, because it, it's bad for, right. bad for business. Well, yeah. So, I want to talk a little bit about, we've, we've referenced, actually, LinkedIn a lot. Do you think LinkedIn contributes to sort of bad recruiting practices. And the reason I ask that is, you That's know, it's a very th- interesting question. Well, I was thinking about the the incentives within a system like LinkedIn. And I, I don't know if uh, you've gotten these emails, Sasha or Sam, but I always get the emails sometimes where it's like, buy LinkedIn premium. And if you go look at those features, it's like people have turned off, like, don't contact me, don't do this, I don't want to be introduced. But you can pay LinkedIn to ignore those preferences and use the premium product and just kind of steamroll over that. And so recruiters that use that, like that's not what I, I'm actually curious about. What I'm curious about is it's like, do you think the ecosystem is set up in such a way that it just is priming bad interactions like that? So uh, I think it does give people another channel for communication. So that channel, all to- tools can be used for good or evil, right? <laughs> and so I think that, yes, it, it's obviously another channel. I think the, the thing, though, is, and we, we have a pretty good relationship with LinkedIn, and I think that, you know, one oh, of the things they do I try to... No, 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 I just mean that, it, you know, I think what they do honestly have, you know, the approach of, if, you've, if you're finding, they give you the tools, for example, you can completely shut off the ability of anyone, including a LinkedIn recruiter subscriber, to email you. You can do okay. that as a user. And so, go Maybe ahead. I yep, no, I think I finally you, did. And uh, yeah, now I can only send me contact requests. Right. So, you know, the, the ability does exist there. I think if you're starting to have problems with a significant amount of spam or noise or whatever, they, those tools do exist to shut it off. So I think over time, like anything heuristic, it starts to, to kind of centralize towards the, the X. Right? Well, so, and you can be passive aggressive about it too as a, as a recipient because they pay for every one of those mails. And if you don't respond, they get refunded. So I started responding to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which you should. I mean, if, if if someone reaches out to you, number one, you know, one of them is, you know, request appropriate, but not at this time. So then they've just gotten charged. That's not what they- I said. <laughs> but, you know. Well, that's a stock answer. We're, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're seeing a little bit of the dark side of Sasha. Yeah, exactly. on, on I have LinkedIn. a, uh, well, I have a friend actually who wrote a form letter finally that is obviously a form letter that he uses when he's mad. Nice. That's a, I, I obviously just sent you a form letter, dear recruiter. So that's what, you know. Well, hey, and, and, and if they send you a form letter, send one back. <laughs> that's perfectly that's, that's reasonable. That's what he does, yeah. <laughs> You know, so so I have I have a weird question related actually to that, and it's just it's it's I I've just always wondered, and now I have someone who can answer it. Why why do recruiters use stupid gimmicks? And I'll give you a couple of examples. And what I mean by that is like in the in the mails that you get, they'll use these. So there was this one recruiter that sent me a subject of chocolate and a release position. Oh, that's right. And, and they talk about like I'm working with this company, blah blah blah, and we should get together and talk about. Uh, said, uh, message me back and let me know what could entice you. Salary location, perhaps a box of chocolates. Now, 
that's kind of weird. But I was chatting with some friends in uh, IRC that I had worked with. They were ex-coworkers. And one of them was like, that's really familiar. And he went through his email and dug up chocolate and a same recruiter, different position. So that was the gimmick. That was the hook, like chocolate and a, I think he was like audio media software or something like that. Or, the, you know, the other one I see a lot these days is my VP of engineering or my director really likes your profile, but then it's the recruiter reaching out to you. Cause, so then you're like, did the VP really look at my profile? There's like that one. And then oh, my um, favorite is the girls in hot tubs one that I got. Wait, there's a what? A girl's the girls in hot tubs one. one, but they were they were trying to get people down to like Brazil or something like that to come work, and I got this really great stock email about all the really great perks about working down there, and one was uh, girls in hot tubs. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually posted that one on Twitter with the company's name. Oh. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> well, so is that? I mean, but the, is that is this another just function of the? There's lots of spam, so people need a hook. But I, a lot of it just seems so so obviously like yeah. you know, just trying too hard. Like, what is the deal with that? So I think you know you need to try to over you need to try to be sound in the noise, but there are obviously right ways to do it and ways that are not right. And so you know so sometimes it might be highlighting investors. Sometimes it might be highlighting a specific thing that may be you know lots of sarcasm. You know like would be in Sasha's profile. But I think obviously there's a there's a line there, and if you think you've been over it, you're over it. Well, it sounds to me like that answer. What's interesting to me about that answer is is you're kind of saying. If you actually read the profile and you and the profile is obviously kind of sarcastic, or the profile the person is is uh, in their previous roles talking about, I saved the business this much. Then details like, oh, this is funded by this VC or whatever would be very important. But these form letters, like the box of chocolates one, it's clearly like there are other people that you know that have gotten the chocolates and a whatever role. Um, those are just again form letters that you know. I guess the real question is why are recruiters so bad at cold calls? Maybe. That's a good, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe that's a good way to I ask. Mean, that's, I think yeah. that's a lot of what we actually have been talking about at all today. Well, I mean, look, if I have your if I have your phone number, I'm going to call you. I think we know <laughs> everyone. I don't think anyone here is afraid to do that. The problem is, and sometimes. That's what I mean, though. Is well, cold emails then. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I don't. I like cold email. I mean, I, I, I guess the question is, if if someone is not good at that, and if someone is not good enough at communication to be able to send a clear, professional, succinct, concise email highlighting why they're reaching out to you, then it's probably not the career for them. Are there a lot of badly paid, highly turned over recruiting positions in the world? Is that what's going on? Is, you know, that, I, I, is it that recruiters are not valued? Is that they are just like commodity items that? That people don't appreciate. That's a good question. I don't know that I can. I don't know that I could issue a, a like a stock response because I'm just not, I guess, familiar enough with how it works everywhere. So I wouldn't want to mm -hmm. sort of, you know, taint the water. But I, you know, I, I think ultimately it's it's not. I'm not going to say it's not easy because I think that you've got a lot of people who the perception is is changing out there, but it's not exactly the highest right now. And I think that we do want to, what we're trying to do here at Riviera is trying to change that perception. And so it's it's actually, I would say it, it's it's the difference between complex and simple and easy and hard. Right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's simple but hard because all you have to do is care. You have to read, you have to research, and you have to then reach out in a professional, concise, communicative manner. And I think that can be easier for some than others and for, for some that discourages them and they might think that they could do it another way. But I, I'll all I can tell you is that, at least for here, we try to you know get people onto those 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 habits and those key success factors that'll make them successful. And then it ultimately is like in any role, in any job, in any career, up to you. Mm -hmm. so, so let me ask this because we talked about this when we initially spoke, and I you, this was sort of fascinating to me that you said this that a lot of times 
the first part of the recruiting process is working with the company to help them flesh out the role because they don't even, you know, they think they know what they want. But then the recruiter, you know, you were talking about sort of coaching, has to help help them flesh that out and then also get a better understanding themselves. And it mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of times the process can go off the rails at that point if it's, if it's either skipped or not done or done quickly and not with enough. I mean, you said it just now. You said they need to read and research. And if they if they don't know what to research, that that's going to be a stunted you know, set of information. Yes. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Because that was kind of I, I guess as uh, someone on one side of it, I don't think I think we ignore sometimes how much work should go in up front, and maybe doesn't always. I think you're right. I think there's a uh, well, and, and part of it is uh, I think dependent upon the model. So in retain search, you know they're 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 giving you the opportunity to work with them and to fill that role. It's not always the case if it's a if they may have three or four contingent firms trying to fill the same role. Now I would that sometimes that can change the reflection of the company in the marketplace because they might have multiple firms representing them and there might be a difference in messaging. But you know I think part of our process oh, yeah, it's really confusing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when and you see of, the same role from different different recruiters in different firms, you're like, wait, what? Why? I, right. And yeah, and they and well, of course the recruiters don't talk to each other, so you get spammed multiple times. I've had that. Happen happen a couple times. Exactly. Um, so I, I do think it's pretty key to the beginning of the process where we're talking with the the client about the role, not just about what they're hiring for now, but what that person's role, the remit will be in one year, three years, five years, because you're hopefully not hiring someone for only a year. And, and part about cultural fit, you need to be on site with the team to, to kind of get the look in the feel of the office. How does it feel to be in there? Because you're representing them. You're representing the company. And so when the, when the candidate's asking, so what's it like? What's the company like? You need to be able to give them some idea of what it's like to be there because they might say, well, it's just not for me. And and that's good because then you've been very time efficient with everyone. You know, I, I don't want to go back, but I actually am now curious. I asked the gimmick question, and I'm curious what you think of the whole rock star ninja phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Your slides have been vetted, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, you know, rock star Where does ninja, that come I mean, from? I mean, where, where, I mean... I mean, I guess I kind of know where that comes from, but yeah, one's one's celebrity, one's in the shadows, right? So, right. Um, so I think you know, obviously, I wouldn't say that anyone had, had ever considered ninjas to be bad at what they do. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, nor rocks. I'm a I'm a bad ninja. A bad uh, yeah, exactly. Officer. Yeah. Rock stars get drunk in rec hotel rooms. That's a good point. Yeah, um, and uh, hopefully everyone you know ninjas get sent to kill die, or else they're not doing a good job. Um, but I, but I think that again, it's you said gimmick. I think ultimately people want to try to convey in some way what they're looking for. So as a Linux rock star, for example, doesn't just know how to fire up an Ubuntu instance. They know how to you know, trace TCP stack. And drunk and trash servers. Exactly. Whereas a, whereas a Linux um, ninja might be able to come in and, <laughs> to, you know, in the shadows, be able to get, get their... Uh, Get the get the kernel back up and running when when it has a giant core dump. So without yeah. anyone ever knowing that you did it or how you did it or what you did. Sli- exactly. Slip in the back TCP port. So I wanted to ask. We, we've mentioned Pete Jeslock, and uh, you've known him for a number of years. He's uh, has a lightning talk where he talks about recruiters. I, have you seen that talk? I haven't yet, but I got to make sure my name isn't disparaged in there. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, but but, but he, I mean the thrust of the talk. I'll, I'll dig it up because I'm pretty sure it's been. I haven't seen it. I think it's been filmed. So, um, but I seen him give it live a couple times, which depending on how much bourbon he's had, it's a fun talk. It's actually a fun talk, period, but <laughs> I can say that because Pete and I love having our bourbon together at 
conferences. But um, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time he's out in SF, we'll have to go make that happen. But he, anyway, he his talk is basically uh, he talks a lot about boss ops, um, the Boston Ops group that he started, and he was he gives you know the standard examples that we've all had commiserated about with bad recruiters. And he basically his thesis is recruiting is broken. This is what we can do to fix it. So my question for you is with the parts that you think might uh, there is room for improvement. Mm-hmm. What can all of us, and I mean that on the company side, on recruiting sure. side, on individuals that are getting maybe spammed with stuff they don't want, how can we make this process a little happier for everyone? Why don't we start with the companies? How can companies? That's a yeah, that's a great question, and I think you know I think there are some things we all can do, and you know so I think on the company side, whether it's whether you need some some whether you would like some assistance or some coaching and walking through it, you know clearly articulating what you want and what you don't want in a role, what that role's remit is, you know what the what this how it how it relates to the strategy of the company, and I I may be I may be uh, t- tilting this a little bit towards the you know earlier stage growth stage companies because that's typically where we work, but uh, you know I also you're, you're you're affecting the outcome of the company a little more materially when you're on the earlier stage. So I think identifying what that role, the remit is, what they're doing, what they're you not doing. That term, you use that term twice, the remit. What, what do you mean by that exactly, just so everybody's... Scope of responsibilities. Okay. okay. I worked for a British company for a number of years, sorry. Uh, oh, and that's what... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the roles and responsibilities. So what they're okay, going gotcha. to be okay. doing. And then also when... The company is seeing candidates being clear in the feedback. Here's what we really like about this person. Here's what we here's what we don't like. And if that's about this particular person, whether it's cultural or whether it's technical, you know that may if it's that'll help us then switching into the recruiter's uh, viewpoint, help us take that input and put it into action. Now the onus on us is to make sure that we're tracking the feedback of the of the candidates and the companies based on their mutual interactions. So did a candidate enjoy their their experience of, of interviewing with that company? And part of it is you know could be changing the process, could be our representation of the company. Maybe we're missing something. It's also incumbent upon us to to put that in notes and whatever systems we have. We do a lot with data and analytics here at Riviera. And so okay. hopefully, heuristically, we try to tune. If, for example, Sasha, you, you said to, to me, I really don't want to be contacted. We would put that in there. Now, people sometimes make mistakes, but we would put that in our systems and we really would try not to, to reach out to you. And I think it's, it's making the best effort to try to take the wishes of the candidates and the clients into account. One thing, too, that, that I ran into was, too, I think it's important, um, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, if the company has decided not to go with a candidate, to be honest and respectful about that because I've had a couple of situations where they hire someone, they fill the role, and they leave the candidates dangling. Or, yeah. you know, they don't tell them we filled the role, stop expecting that email or whatever. Yes. And even worse, I actually, there was a, there was a situation where somebody told them the budget changed and we ended up removing that role. But it turned out that I had a friend at that company, and I was explaining, oh, this was the role, and this was about the time frame they were searching for. And it turns out he said, oh, I know exactly who got hired for that role. So they lied to the candidate and said, oh, there was something structural on our end that changed, as opposed to say we wanted to go in a different direction. So I would I would assume both you think both of the like the honesty on the company side about where the process is and is really important. Absolutely, and and that's the. There's no better way to build up distrust than to not communicate. So if you, if someone was wasn't the right candidate, wasn't a successful candidate for the role, it's important to let the, to get as much feedback as you can get, and and let them know why. If I and you have to put yourself in in their shoes. If that were you, wouldn't you want to know 
and that may not be something you can change. Some things about it, uh, you know, about a match just are not under your control. Some things are, and I would want to know what I need to change if I'm going forward, how I'm being perceived, and that's part of, I think, our job is to help make that connection. Here's how you're being perceived both to the candidate and to the company. Right, right. and it, like, it, you know, if a candidate really, really wants that type of role, but... Yeah you have data on why they didn't get it, like what they could go do to fix that. Exactly. And that's one thing we tend to have a lot of here is data. And so we can help use that to help both parties in the process. Nice. And so then uh, you said, how can recruiters make this process better? Uh, I'm starting to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the, you know, the recruiters can, can make it better by listening on both ends. I think that's something we all need to do, you know, all the time is listen. And and again, if if a candidate says I really I really want a, you know, a company where they do X, Y, and Z, and where I would do A, B, and C, then we should be remembering that. And sometimes we may say, hey, there's a company that does X, Y, and you would be doing A and B. Is this close enough to what your ideal situation is? And and we may reach out to you for that. And again, don't be, don't be afraid to say no, especially if it's a well placed reach out. You know, hey Paul, here's here's something we talked about this earlier. This seems pretty close. Is it close enough? And I've done that. I've actually been contacted by uh, a recruiter from Google at least twice. The same person who like contacted me, and I was like, no, that's not going to work for me. But sure. she was really like, she read my con- she read my profile, and she was like, I think you'd be a great fit for us for these reasons. And they were specific things right in my profile. And I emailed her back and was like, I don't think so, really, because I don't like big companies. But and then she read my sysadvent blog post that I wrote two years ago and emailed me again and was like, you know, I really think that you would be great for us after that. I just loved it. It was awesome. And I was like, and then I finally spilled the beans about how I have large company anxiety problems and it would never work out. But like yeah. when we get thoughtful emails, we respond. But I mean, it's one in a thousand almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the one thing you mentioned too that, that I actually didn't know, it sounds kind of awesome. Like you have your recruiters do classes on the technology stack side of things, so they at least know they have a context for what they're recruiting for, and it's not... Java and JavaScript are not the same thing. Well, that, and it's not just searching keywords. Right. right? You know... Yeah, and I'd like to, you know, hopefully we hit the mark more often than we don't. Um, You know, I I think sometimes we may be looking and optimizing for what we know or hear as well, because it's a small world. We might hear something about a candidate through investors, through VCs, through other execs, and it may not be at all relevant to your profile. It may be relevant to you as a person, <laughs> you know, and so that can happen too. It's a very small world in the in the venture back tech world, and so you know sometimes that can be a reason for a contact. But yes, we do. Now, does that mean everyone is you know has a BS and CS? No, it doesn't. But hopefully, we make ourselves available enough to answer any questions or break any ties. On the, uh, to err on the side of having as few false negatives as possible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, there was a recruiter that contacted me, uh, I don't know, maybe nine months ago or whatever, and um, I, re- I replied, and it, we kind of started a conversation, and what it, it it turned into, which I thought was really funny, is they were very upfront about they don't always know. It became more of a, like, relationship and as opposed sure. to, like, a recruiting relationship because they ended up emailing me, and they're like, you know, I don't know what this acronym means. I mean, I can look it up on Google, yeah. and I get that that PHP stands for pre-hypertext processor or whatever. But yeah. I, you know, can you can you walk me through that? And and he's done that a couple times now. And so what's interesting is that we have this relationship now where he feels open enough, and it's not like a embarrassing thing or anything to actually ask me a technical question if he's got a list of requirements from the company that he doesn't know what they are. And yeah. and so that's actually been a much sort of healthier interaction in terms yeah. of recruiting that I think a lot of times people don't 
uh, hear those stories or they don't know that they even exist, and they actually do. You know, yeah. fi find yourself a recruiter friend and, and go have beers with them. Or something, that, that, you know? that's, a good, that's a good point. I think a good guiding point in life is the truth will set you free. <laughs> so just be honest. Yeah. And then what can we do on our end to make your lives a little less frustrating, to, to not dehumanize recruiters so much, to make the process <laughs> and the interactions a little better? What can we do? You know, in general, again, this is in broad terms, I'm only speaking for myself and my colleagues here at Riviera, but we, we're honestly trying to make matches, not sell people into seats. And so <laughs> if, there's a, if there's, again, in the, in, the, in the vein of heuristic tuning, if there's a way for something we're not seeing or whatever, you know, please let us know. And again, we'll try to you know, have that data available to everyone here so we're then only making more and more resonant matches. So again, be, continue. And, and Sasha, I appreciate you getting back to recruiters, particularly ones who at least take the time to, to have craft a thoughtful email. You know, keep doing that. I love uh, those. They make me feel special. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong because we, we're all just trying to put, we're matchmaking. We're trying to put two people together. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a really good sport. I mean, I you, you kind of, <laughs> this whole episode was was sort of probably a little a little hard to do just because you know it's like why do recruiters suck? But I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through sort of the mechanics of what's really going on and um, how we can all make the entire process better and more healthy for everyone involved. No, thank you both for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. And we're, like you said, we're trying to change the, the perception. And so anything that it's, it's great to be able to have these channels and thanks for your work. Yeah, yeah. So um, Sasha actually mentioned this. Uh, would you be interested in coming back for a segment on from listener questions uh, to yeah. answer kind of? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, would, no, that would be great. So so listeners, if you have uh, any questions for Sam Hooley, you should tweet those to us, Ship Show Podcast on Twitter, or send us email crew at theshipshow.com. We will get Sam back on the show, and, and uh, he can answer all of your recruiter questions that you might have. So again, thanks so much, Sam. Thank you, Sasha Paul, and thanks for everyone at home. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And we'll be back in a moment here on The Ship Show. All right, welcome back to the ship show. So the last segment tonight, we're going to do yet another tool tip, fun tool tip. Uh, we're going to be looking tonight at Final Term. You can check it out at finalterm.org. It's still a work in progress, uh, so that's kind of the sad part of the story, but it is on GitHub. You can check it out there, and you can download it and give it a, give it a look-see. Um, there's lots of actually interesting screenshots on, uh, on the website on Final Term, and what's cool about it is that it's a more contextualized terminal. So it does command line prompting you know uh, from your history but it does it in a way that pops it up with pop-up menus and it integrates with various tools the example they have like uh, they show them downloading a wget file and it shows the status being displayed in a different way on the terminal and so it's got basically richer integrations with the command line tools that we all use you can right click file names and do certain things you can right click pids and copy the pid or get information on it or terminate it stuff like that so yeah, it basically is trying to. Uh, you can do, of course, do color stuff like you can with with current terminal emulators, but uh, get a little more fancy with that. And then also, apparently, one of the big things is it will do terminal reflow, which I guess I've never had a problem with this, but it turns out that I automatically launch screen and is all. Is that like acid reflux? What? <laughs> Just like what is terminal reflow? Oh well, I, so well, I was reading the thing, and I've never really had a problem with it because I automatically launch screen on all my interactive shells. But I guess the problem is, is that if you're running 
a regular terminal program, and uh, on macOS terminal it would do this, but on a lot of Linux ones it wouldn't. If you change the window size, yeah. the text that you've outputted wouldn't like in a, if you did like a big directory listing, it wouldn't reflow that text. But oh. uh, fi final term does. But it, it, if you reflow inside a screen, it will because screen is managing that. So it's funny. One of the statements is, it looks like it's from 2013, Terminal from 1978. Uh, you can do, of course, UI skinning, which is always a big deal. So anyway, yeah, um, you can check that out. We'll uh, put a link to where you can grab it on GitHub and build it. Uh, and then, of course, they've got, uh, if you have any questions, they've also, they're hanging out on Freenode uh, in final term. So if you're looking for something that's a little more interesting than uh, your standard GNOME terminal, be sure and check that out. As we always do, we'll link to conference stuff that's upcoming. As I mentioned, DevOps Days Pittsburgh is coming up. Uh, Sasha, you were saying DevOps Days Minneapolis is, is getting organized, right? Yeah, that's happening in July. Yep, and uh, so is uh, DevOps Days Silicon Valley, actually. We just did a call, organizing call. That is starting to come together as well. That's going to be around Velocity as well. It's, it's the end of the week after Velocity Santa Clara. Um, so that's coming up. And I know PuppetConf just put their schedule together, so that's going to be coming out shortly. So the, we'll be looking forward to see what they're going to be talking about. So yeah, and of course, for all your upcoming conference and CFP information, you can check out devopsconferences.com. So uh, from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. From Minneapolis, this is Sasha Bates signing off. From Drake at Massachusetts, this is EJ Sermello signing off. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Bye.